Hey, caregiver. Welcome to the podcast that's created with you in mind. I am Donita Michelle, your fellow caregiver and host of the Selfful Caregiver Podcast, a form of selfish and selfless human turned selfful. So just what is selfful? Glad you asked. In simplest terms, it's that sweet spot between selfish and selfless. Selfish is all about me. Selfless is all about you. Selfful is about me and you making the caregiving journey just a little bit easier for us and our carries. Each week, you'll hear about all things caregiving, from actionable tips and strategies to help you maintain your health and well-being, relatable stories from fellow and former caregivers, and good information that we can use from field experts, all to help you on your quest to selfless. Because why? Caregiving is a lifestyle. So, hey, caregiver, are you ready? Let's get selfful. Hey, caregiver, and welcome back for part two of episode 15, It's Time for Discharge, Now What? In part one, we talked to Nicole Hughes, case manager and discharge planner about all things caregiving. Nicole has an extensive caseload, and so in part two, we're going to talk about what she does for self-care. And it was so important that we talked about it twice. Self-Care Awareness Month is September. It's now. So remember to take care of yourself because so often we neglect ourselves. As I say, be selfful. Make sure that you don't feel guilty when you take care of yourself. And on the flip side, don't neglect yourself by being selfless because that's reckless. Be selfful. So listen in for some more tips on discharge and some of Nicole's self-care tips. Wow, Nicole. So with that said, you deal with a whole lot. What is your average caseload of patients? So in my full-time job, I get about 30 referrals every week. And then, and again, I imagine I'm managing three different clinics. So it's a lot. And then on during my weekend job as a discharge planner, I typically cover two units and there's at least 30 patients on each unit. So there's about 60 patients. There's doctors knocking on the door, my pager going off. I'm getting a message from a doctor letting me know a patient has to be discharged and I need to set up home health. So it's just a lot coming. Wow. And that's what I was saying. That's what I was like, well, let me just even ask her, how many folks is she dealing with? Like, I know that you, you know, how many folks is she really helping? Because I yeah. know that you deal with a lot. So, again, like to my point, how do you take care of yourself what do you do and and so this podcast is called the selfful caregiver Mm. podcast and selfful i define it as that sweet spot between selfish and selfless selfish because we again as humans we feel guilty when we take typically i'm just going to say you know generally we feel guilty when we take time for ourselves or feel like we're being selfish and then on the flip side 
when we're being selfless, mm. we're neglecting ourselves. And so I say that being selfless is reckless. And I feel like, you know, with you, you're very selfless. Like that job in and of itself is a selfless job, just like me with care. I mean, as caregivers, it's a selfless yeah. job. But in order to maintain your sanity and your own health, you have to be selfless. You have to meet in the middle where you take time for yourself and so that you can give back and pour into others. So what do you do to maintain selfless or even practice selfless to try to achieve selfless? Yes, I love this, Donita. I think, you know, for me, self-care is so important, right? Like, the world as we know it, there's a lot going on and it doesn't have a pause button. So mm -hmm. it's always great to, you know, pour into ourselves. And I think for me, just resting and not just in a literal sense, but, mm -hmm. you know, whether that's like meditating or journaling or napping or I love music. Music has been like so restorative and healing for me, also just recharging in a sense of like hanging out with friends and my loved ones. And I'm just a laid back person. Like I love mm -hmm. to laugh, as you know. Mm -hmm. um, I like being at home. Like that's just like my my place of safety. Yeah, self-care is, is definitely important. <laughs> you know, I think work can be very chaotic at times. So any time where I can, you know, just rest is where I sort of, you know, the best self-care for me. <laughs> Good. Yes, yes. You are my kindred spirit. All of that resonated with me. <laughs> yes, music is healing. I love music. Yeah. Well. We definitely share that love for music. Yes. And uh, <laughs> yes. So, I mean, you've given us a lot today. Are there any final thoughts that you would share with your colleagues, or if you want to address family caregivers or both, please, by all means, you have the floor. Yeah. So, you know, I, I love working with caregivers. I really think that you guys are so instrumental in the process of, you know, working with a patient in the hospital, you know, getting that collateral information making sure a patient is taken care of, like you guys are literally the backbone of, you know, you know, I just, I feel that way. And so. You mentioned the nursing home liaison. So I didn't know they existed. Mm -hmm. um, but I know like with my mother, with the discharge, I, I know that there you can appeal the discharge. Yeah. Yep. So what's the proper way? Because for me, I know that I signed off on the Medicare form, but I'm not sure if the doctor I can't I know they had to do put something in writing that yep. was the, the medical reason, but I can't remember other than me raising a whole bunch of H E double hockey sticks. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. What's the proper way to appeal a discharge? So with Medicare patients, upon your admission to the hospital, so this has to happen within 48 hours of, like, it has to, within an admission, you're given something called an important message from Medicare letter. And 
What this is, is ensures that the patient is aware of their rights related to a discharge appeal and you're fully informed of the plan of discharge. And say, for instance, you know, the doctor tells you, you know, the, the care team tells you, you know, you have to discharge today and you don't agree with that plan and timing of the discharge, you can file an appeal and you will be provided with the something called the detailed notice of discharge. Mm-hmm. And that just informs you of your discharge appeal rights. And so just tell any member of the care team, the doctor, the case manager, the nurse, that that's something that you want to do is appeal your discharge. And they should give you the proper paperwork that goes along with that. Mm-hmm. I know that even during that time, I, we didn't have anything in place as far as my mother's advanced directives. And so mm-hmm. I felt like I was behind an eight ball with that, not really being aware of what was needed or learning about it along the way. Can you explain to our listeners exactly what the advanced directives, I'm sorry, the advanced directive directive forms are and what we should have in place to be proactive rather than reactive like I was? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I definitely want to talk about the importance of this because usually when I'm assessing a patient, this comes up all the time. And, you know, I think talking to your loved ones about death and dying and normalizing saying what your needs and what your wants are and what you don't want, like being honest about what your values and your wishes and your rituals and ways to honor uh, your loved one all matters. And so there's guardianship and guardian of the state. That is a very complicated process Mm -hmm. and can be very expensive. That's all done through the court and legal system. So I don't, you know, I don't want to focus on that today. Yeah. Let me just say this real quick. I Mm -hmm. was denied, which I'm glad and grateful that I was denied. It's almost like God protected me from that whole fiasco. Mm. So, yeah. And then it's this movie called. Are you talking about that movie on Netflix? Yes, that movie on Netflix. Oh, my goodness. That was horrible. If you have not watched that movie, I care a lot. Oh, it made me so mad. Oh, my gosh. Just watch it. Just watch it, yeah. Yeah, you'll see that you can see guardianship in action. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Why did you think of that movie? Oh, gosh. It's terrible. So, yeah. Sorry, sorry. No, no, no. Okay, so you have the living will, and what that does is it tells your healthcare professional whether you want death-delaying procedures used if you have a terminal condition and are unable to state your wishes. So DNR, DNI might come up, and then there's the pulse form, which which is the physician orders for life-sustaining treatment, and that talks about you know goes into depth about resuscitation, nutrition treatment orders, and I believe they have DNR on those forms as well. Mm-hmm. DNR, DNI. Hearing Can you explain forms? what DNR and DNI, what they are? Yes. What they mean? Yes. So DNR is do not resuscitate and DNI is do not intubate. Mm-hmm. 
So those are, again, these forms have to be, you know, if you're wanting to do them, they have to be signed by a physician. Mm-hmm. I, as a social worker, cannot sign these forms. Um, yeah. So you can do these forms. You know, I always recommend doing it with your primary care doctor. But they also can be done during your hospitalization as well. Yeah, Maya. And and, and they're living documents. So they mm-hmm. can change. So I yep. know like with my mother, and they're called most here. It's the Maryland Orders of Life-Sustaining Treatment. So with my mother... I had to make some decisions for her as far as DNR, DNI. Mm. And so once she was able to now, you know, communicate for herself and her cognitive level is where she can make decisions on her own, it changed, you know. So, yeah, definitely know that they are living documents. Yeah. And so another document is the durable power of attorney for healthcare. So. Mm -hmm the POA forms. So with those forms, you know, what they outline is you assign an agent. So an agent is someone that can make medical decisions on your behalf when you are no longer able to make them on your own. So, you know, again, no one can predict when a serious illness or accident might occur. You know, God forbid something happens and If you plan now, you can increase the chances that the medical treatment you get will be the treatment that you want. Mm -hmm. So here in Illinois, you, and again, like every state and jurisdiction is different, but I believe with POA, it's it's sort of similar where you Mm -hmm. choose, again, this healthcare agent, someone you love and trust, they have to be at least 18 years or older. And it doesn't have to be a family member, but it could be someone you know well and is able to carry out your wishes. That person shouldn't, you know, coerce you or pressure you to be that agent for you. Just be careful who you want to be the ultimate decision maker and who you want to be that healthcare agent. Mm. And I think some things to consider also that they review in the POA forms is. Would you rather be at home or in the hospital for the Mm -hmm. last days of your life? Do you have any religious, spiritual, or cultural beliefs that you want your agent to consider? What is most important to you? Is it important for you to live as long as possible or avoid prolonged suffering and disability? And this agent can have access to your medical records, permission for medical tests, medicine, surgeries, treatment. They can talk to physicians about your treatment. And also you can choose more than one agent to be your healthcare power of attorney. Another thing to note is you have to have a witness sign off on the form. Mm -hmm. I always tell people, again, this is a working document. You know, say, for instance, you change your mind about who your healthcare agent, who you want that person to be, you can rip up the copy that you had before and create a new document. Make copies of it, bring it to your primary care doctor so they can scan it into your chart. Yeah, I think those are really important things to know. And I did want to share a story. This might be really extreme, but I think it's really relevant to uh, some of the things that you were alluding to, Donita. But I was working a weekend. Mm -hmm. 
And I got a consult from one of the doctors. So there was a patient in her mid-50s admitted for COVID. And unfortunately, she was intubated. So, you know, she couldn't talk or anything. She had a very poor prognosis. There was no healthcare power of attorney in place. Mm-hmm. None that we had in our file. Mm-hmm. So the doctor wanted me to, you know, step in and intervene because he was, you know, that the husband, this patient was married. And so he was doing a lot of communication with the husband. But this patient's family members were also calling too, like the daughter and her brother were calling and questioning the validity of her marriage. Mm. Oh my gosh, it was a fiasco, Donita. So the I spoke with the patient's daughter. She's like, my mom never got married to this guy. He's awful. You know, I couldn't mm. really get it. Like just the family dynamics, like it was mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. And so the alleged husband, you know, was unwilling to tell the daughter what was going on with, you know, with um, her mom. He wasn't like giving them any information. And so I called him and I was like, hey, this is what's going on. They're questioning the validity of your marriage. Can you tell? I'm like assessing and being an investigator. Like, when was your wedding? When, mm-hmm. What year did you get married? What date did you get married? Mm-hmm. You have a copy of your marriage certificate. And he's like, oh, no, I don't. I don't know where she kept that. We got married on this day. These are some of the people that were there. And I was like, hey, would you mind bringing a copy of your marriage certificate just so we have it? Mm-hmm. And, you know, what I did is I went ahead and told the doctor, like, we're just going to proceed in good faith until we can prove otherwise, mm-hmm. but still, you know, continue to communicate with the husband. And so I remember I left that Saturday, like, talking to my supervisor. I was like, I think legal and risk management should get involved because there's like all this family discord. And, you know, my role is not to be a therapist, but to figure out what's going on. So, in case that there's a time, to execute like mm-hmm. a major life decision for this patient. Obviously, this family's in crisis, but there might be a time where they have to execute some big decisions. Mm-hmm. We got to figure this out. So, so, so mm-hmm. real quick, typically, mm-hmm. so the spouse is next of kin for God. Yeah. So one okay. of the things okay. I should have mentioned before I went into that story there's something called the Uniform Healthcare Decisions Act, and it was enacted in 2000 to uniformly address across in all states who could act on behalf of an individual who lacks legal capacity. Mm-hmm. So remember I was telling you, we didn't have any forms for this lady. We didn't know who was her decision maker. Right. And you may not have had those forms, right? Mm-hmm. You know, most patients and caregivers that I speak to don't have advanced directives in place. Mm -hmm. And so with this Uniform Healthcare Decisions Act, the it's ranked on order of priority. So the spouse is first, Mm -hmm. then the adult child, then the parent, then the sibling. Mm -hmm. Okay. In this Mm -hmm. instance, the husband 
you know, was at the top of the list. Mm -hmm. But the family was like questioning, like, well, she's not married. Right, right. So it was, yep. just, it was a there. big fiasco. Yeah. I mm-hmm. did work the next week to see the outcome of the case because I was like, what happened? The husband, he stopped answering calls. Oh, so he never he was brought lying. the birth certificate or the marriage, marriage. certificate, mm-hmm. I mean. And they ultimately spoke with the daughter. I think they had to make some hard decisions. Unfortunately, I don't think she made it, but mm-hmm. things like that happen. So, you know, I, I tell patients and caregivers like these forms, I it doesn't matter how old you are. Yeah, your your level of health. Because, mm-hmm. you know, like you say, anything can happen. And it's just a reminder for me as a single person with no children. Yep. You know, my mom can't make those types of decisions on my behalf. And so yep. I don't have siblings either. <laughs> yep. So I, and I've been talking about it, Nicole, but this is it. I am going to definitely get my forms together. I have my power of attorney, but mm-hmm. all of the other stuff, I don't have any living will. No, I have my living will, but okay. again, most of that stuff was done for before I went to Swaziland. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. I have to update it because my mother and my father both, you know, they're, they're both on everything. And so I need to update that. And then also like my most, I definitely have to do that as far as what type of treatment I want and how I want to live and all that. And yeah, I, I'm going to do the five wishes. Oh, that's, yes. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. So if you guys don't know what that is, five wishes mm-hmm. is just another form of advanced directives. Mm-hmm. And it was created by a nonprofit called Aging with Dignity. And it talks about your personal, emotional, spiritual, medical needs. Everything. Um, It's a really, really cool form. If you go to five and just spell out the number five wishes.org, you can find the form and, you know, print it off for free. Yep. Yeah, that's a really, really good document. So I'm going to do it. Look, it's almost like, I'm preaching to the choir. Like I talk about what we need done all the time. And so I know that I need to do mine. So I, you know, holding each other accountable, no matter how young, old you are, like I say, your level of health. So especially as caregivers, because we, the numbers are just astonishing. The number of caregivers that pass away before the person Mm -hmm. that they're caring for And so we have a lot that we're contending with as caregivers and maintaining our own emotional, mental, emotional, physical, mental Mm -hmm. health, you know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's that's my mission. That's my mission to really work with create a community of healthy caregivers, holistically healthy mind, body and spirit. (laughs) So, Nicole, with all of what you shared with us, I mean, you shared a lot. Like I said, you are a wealth of information. Are there any final thoughts that you have? Yes. First, I want to say just thank you so much, Donita. Again, I just feel so honored to share, and I do want to give you your flowers. Like, I think it's so revolutionary and incredible what you're doing with your platform, right? Like. Not only are you a caregiver yourself, but you're providing, you know, caregivers with, you know, so many tools and so many, you know, from hey caregiver to your Benti circle to 
you know, I know your future plans. You told me a little bit about that, but I think you're just, what you're doing is just so incredible. Like it brings me to tears. Me too. Um, you're about to make me cry. And I'm thinking y'all, I do not take my guests to say these things because a friend of mine that I interviewed a couple of weeks ago, he said the same thing. And so I'm just grateful to God. Like this is God. So mm. y'all, I'm serious. I don't pay these folks. <laughs> yes, no. Like from the first time I met Donita, we were Peace Corps volunteers. I mean, she created BGGE from the ground up. But what you've seen with the Hey Caregiver platforms is just, man, it's incredible and life-changing. And I know that you're changing so many people's lives. So I wanted to give you a round of applause for that. Thank, Thank you. Nicole. Girl. Okay. <laughs> yes, but, um, you know, I think my final thoughts is I think family caregivers are the backbone, especially for the the healthcare and the care system in general. Like we need family caregivers. I think the needs of them often go overlooked. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that you guys do so much. You sacrifice, you love hard, you, I just think about the emotional, the physical, the financial mm-hmm. impact of caregiving can, can be a lot. It, you know, I think one of the things that I talk to caregivers a lot about is like caregiver burnout, stress, and depression. Yes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I think you guys are incredible and I'm just so grateful. I, I feel like I learn a lot from you guys. So, you know, reach out. Like, I just wanted to sort of offer some tips to caregivers. Like, I think like just look at your state and what they offer for respite. A lot of these insurances, they provide like care coordination and case management services. Like say your primary care doctor does not have a social worker, mm-hmm. ask your insurance companies. I know these like Medicare Advantage plans, like for instance, like WellCare and things like that, all all of those Medicare Supplemental Advantage plans, they do offer case management. And so ask them, like, what sort of caregiver resources are out there? What sort of support groups are out there? Mm -hmm. What sort of support is needed for, you know, even respite care? So, yes, thank you so much, Donita, again. And I hope that we we could do something again in the future. Yes, absolutely. So like you said, to reach out, if if someone had a question, would you be amenable to them contacting you? I know that you yeah. are state specific, but if it's mm-hmm. a general question about discharge or anything that you shared, if you are okay with it, if you could share your contact information for them to get in touch with you, that would be great. Yeah, definitely. So again, like, Today, what we talked about, it could be like overwhelming the amount of information that you were confronted with. And we didn't even scratch the surface. Like, yeah, <laughs> there was so much more that we could have discussed, but maybe we could do a part two. Yeah, um, and we might, ha- mm-hmm. might maybe do a form or something like a Q&A form where we invite family caregivers to maybe some yeah. something like that. 
that would instead be of cool. like yeah from abroad you know i'm just thinking yeah as we we talk you know from a broad perspective if you have specific questions pertaining x y and z like maybe you and i could brainstorm some questions right. that right. i mean with some topics um, right that yeah that people could supply questions for that yeah i think that would be good and, yeah. and i think we I, i'm thinking that we could do quite a bit in november which is national mm -hmm. family caregivers Month. yes yes so i already have one big event scheduled but you know we can add in some little smaller uh things that we do yes. yeah i think okay i think i, I yeah yep. I, i'm excited my, my wheels are turning yes i love it i love it i love it so yeah what's your um contact information yeah so i'm not on social media but i you can email you can always email me my email address and then maybe donita you can add this to uh the footnotes or something but it's hughes my last name h u g h e s n as in nicole m as in marie at plu.edu. So, you know, don't hesitate to reach out if you have questions or concerns. I know I'm in the state of Illinois, but, you know, if it crosses state lines, we'll figure it out together. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nicole. I appreciate you being my guest today. I thank you, thank you, thank you. And I Thank our listeners for tuning in yet once again. This was a very informative podcast. And again, we don't have to wait for the form. If you have any questions, please submit them to the, I think on Spotify and Anchor, you can mm -hmm. submit questions or you can just email them directly to hey at heycaregiver.com. And that's H-E-Y at H-E-Y-C-A-R-E-G-I-V-E-R.com. Com. So thanks again. Don't forget to like and subscribe so you'll know when new episodes are dropped. And also please visit our store at on our Hey Caregiver site, www.heycaregiver.com. And we look forward to you tuning in for our next episode. Until then, be well, be selfful. <laughs>